Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. My guest today is entrepreneur Sunali Bagaris, founder and editor-in-chief of Green Queen Media and Eco Warehouse, which is coming to us live from Hong Kong. Sunali, welcome to the show. Hi, Simon. It's so great to be here and finally meet you. We have so many people in common, so it's nice to finally put a face to your name. Likewise. It's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast. I I get to connect to people that I should have connected to a long time ago, but was too busy. Indeed. A pleasure to have you here. I wonder if you could start off by kindly telling our audience a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. Well, just a quick story is that I'm a Hong Konger, born and raised, and um, for the last 10 years, I've been on this entrepreneurial journey with two companies. Um, One is Green Queen Media, which is, as the name suggests, a media platform where we cover uh, sustainability, alternative protein, basically anything to do with living a healthier life on a healthier planet. Um, So we were probably the first sustainability media in Asia. Um, We started back in 2011. It was a blog. And then a couple years later, we turned it into an actual media company where it wasn't just kind of my my musings. Um, I also run a platform called ecowarehouse.com, which is um, basically the organic version of alibaba.com. So we connect um, thousands of certified organic suppliers with trade buyers. So it's a B2B sourcing site for people who need organic ingredients. I wonder if you could give our audience a little bit of a measure of who you are around what success perhaps means to you. Well, I think that's a complicated question. I think the outside world would like you to say, you know, sales numbers and user numbers and maybe money and, and, you know, things like that. But for me, success is, I guess, how many people's minds have I changed with what I'm doing? Certainly that's the metric in Green Queen. Um, and I, I just, you know, as, as kind of, as kind of silly as it sounds, every time someone writes me an email to tell me that something that we've published has gotten them to make a change in their corporate or personal life, I feel that is really where the impact lies. Um, For Eco Warehouse, I think it's harder because it's more of a tech platform. So really that is going to be driven by, you know, how many users we have. But, you know, whenever I'm able to the platform is able to help a smaller organic farmer who can't afford big marketing to connect with buyers for a a much more affordable price, then I feel like truly I'm, I'm doing something worthwhile. I think this is a theme I've seen throughout the podcast series um, that I'm producing that there's this struggle, isn't there sometimes between maybe for example, what an investor wants to see numbers, traffic, all those sorts of things alongside what is really important to the person running the business. And so, you know, it's a very, a very meaningful mission you have there, a very meaningful measure of success, but it does make it hard, doesn't it? Sometimes with, if that's your measure, but the outside world, as you put it, quite rightly wants to see oh success is you know facebook with 1.7 billion users as as if that really matters i i agree and i think this is where we can have a maybe broader discussion about 
you know, shareholder capitalism versus maybe stakeholder capitalism. And I think uh, currently we're living maybe the end of the era of shareholder capitalism, where the only thing that matters is excessive fast growth and returns to shareholders um, after an IPO. But I think we're learning um, that that's not really conducive to a happy, fulfilled, equitable society. And so we've got the math wrong. Um, we've focused on a couple of metrics and we've forgotten about all the other metrics. So yes, uh, it is challenging. And, and I can tell you that I didn't set out to build a media company that sort of happened by accident because my blog became successful. Um, it found an audience and, um, I don't think that I would have gone after media. I mean, I, you could argue that I created a media company just about the worst time to do so. Um, media is very sadly a, a sort of a dying business. Um, we have arranged it so that, you know, it's incredibly difficult to be um, a sales generating media company, let alone a profit making one. Um, and I think that's why you see a lot of media uh, getting bought out by billionaires or, you know, maybe turning to nonprofits so they have access to grants. That is something I have considered because uh, I call Green Queen an impact media company. It exists to change minds and behavior, most importantly. So everything we're doing has an agenda. Um, and that is not something I will hide. We are trying to get people to rethink their choices, um, whether they are businesses or individuals. Um, we are trying to get them to understand that the climate crisis is super urgent. Um, there's no more time to waste. We should have acted yesterday. We should have acted 20 years ago. We are trying to tell people that or to get people to think about what's on their plate and how that affects their future and their family's health and the planet's health. So we're, we've got a purpose um, and that's not necessarily going to be conducive to making millions of dollars. Now I will say this green queen has always been profitable since the day it started. Um, the numbers were not necessarily huge, but from the day we produced quality content and attracted a loyal audience, we were able to um, have advertisers coming to me and saying, well, we want a feature. Um, I remember the first time someone asked for a media kit. I had no idea what a media kit was um, because I don't come from um, a media background. So these are things I really had to learn. Um, but in that sense, Green Queen just has always found a way to, to make money. The last year has been extremely challenging. And interestingly enough, we've, you know, tripled our audience this year, but obviously had three or four months of difficult advertising uh, revenue generation because of COVID. Um, what's happened lately is that in July, we saw a big spike of advertising revenue with advertisers coming back because I think you had the whole world holding their breath about COVID and then suddenly people realizing, actually, this is the new reality. This is what we've got going on. So, um, I mean, media is 
is not a business for the weak hearted. I mean, it's, it's rough. It's difficult. We're now facing other concerns around freedom of press where we're based and, and access to information. Um, it's, it's very difficult. And the fact that we are a niche media, that we are based in a city where we're not in the language that is the majority language, the fact that honestly, the biggest market next to us, China is, is not necessarily a market that we could easily enter for a whole range of reasons. And the fact that we have to regularly say no to advertisers just, just two days ago, I had an advertiser write to me, they do a dairy formula for infants. And I had to say, I'm, I'm really sorry. We don't cover dairy uh, unless it's cell based um, or fermented, you know, unless it's basically slaughter free. Uh, Cause that's our, that's our ethos. So, you know, it's not a business that's easy. Um, and I think that's why it's a business that you have to be in for a different purpose than just sales. Wow. There's so many points there. I want to make sure my listeners pick up on all, all the different elements of what you've just downloaded there. Um, I think, first of all, the um, impact media piece is so powerful. And I, I think that I wish every media company was transparent that they had a name. You know, so the, the fact that you, you, know, you highlight you have an aim, you have an agenda, you know, every media has an agenda. So it's just that some hide it better than others. And so, you know, I, I think impact media is such a powerful terminology for me. And, and, I, and I, it resonates quite strongly. I think for the listeners to um, also pick up on, you know, you're in Hong Kong and this is a period of, 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 of turmoil. I mean, I spent a lot of my life in Hong Kong as well. You know, the freedom of the press is under, under pressure. You know, anyone that doesn't conform to what, frankly, right now the Chinese government wants you to say is in danger. And so, you know climate change and all those conversations is, is probably on one of not not necessarily up there on the top as far as democracy is concerned but certainly something that you know that you've got to be a bit careful what you say and do right anyone saying anything right now in hong kong has to be careful what they say and do so very challenging but i love the point actually i, I really think this is an important thing for my listeners to pick up on this point which is saying no sometimes is important and i'm sure you know taking that revenue during a difficult time like covid seems like you know at least we can survive and you know but as soon as you start compromising your core value your moral code that's it right so the fact that you have the strength to say no and then have the strength to talk about it it's um i think i I'm, I'm already inspired by you so that that's that's interesting i also quite like the whole like end of capitalism um shareholder capitalism which is which is pretty exciting i don't know why i get so excited about that <laughs> well, I think it, it is a very exciting time to be alive. You know, the more dangerous and chaotic it is, the more there's an opportunity for change and a new order of things. Mm. I, I want to get into your career history and how you made the leap from, frankly, quite a, quite a successful career at HSBC and so on, and, and then starting your own business. We'll get into that in a second. Just before I jump into that, that career path, um, I wanted to understand your view on, and this is a bit controversial, but COVID, you know, I, I feel like COVID in a way has been good for the climate change movement. In a way, it's made, well, only has it stopped a lot of crap people didn't need to do, like flying. Uh, and, and and destroy the planet. It, se- it seems to have helped the planet, you know, as if it's a byproduct of something awful. But what's your view? Oh, absolutely. So COVID is a, it's a double-edged coin for our sust- greater sustainability movement. Uh, certainly it has done the following. It has shown the world that if we were to curb production and 
um, consumerism overnight, we can actually see real change for the planet right away. And, and here we think back to a few months ago when everything felt like it felt like the whole world was on lockdown. That's not the, the case, but a lot of major uh, geographies were on lockdown and you saw this kind of animals taking over streets and wildlife kind of just having a ball um, letting us know humans are the problem. We saw carbon emissions just, just flatline. And that's wonderful um, because what it does is it shows you, hey, actually, if we stop, it's not too late. Um, what COVID has also done is it has shown what the relationship is between pandemics and the climate. Um, and so it has forced people to really confront this conversation that some of us in, in the activist world have been having for a long time, which is what is on your plate and human health and the climate crisis is all super related. And our food system is seriously broken. And without fixing it, we're going to have more pandemics. So um, the fact that a global pandemic kind of erupted and, and you know, stopped the world for the last few months uh, and will continue to cause severe chaos and interruption has not been a huge surprise to activists or scientists or researchers. If anything, we were all kind of waiting for something like this. I think the way it happened and what it was, sure, nobody could have predicted that, but this is not a, a major surprise. We have altered our ecosystem too much and we are going to continue to pay the price. And to be honest, there's going to be more. There are going to be more. Uh, and climate change is also going to severely disrupt our lives, especially in the global south, especially in Asia. Uh, you know, I am based in Hong Kong. We are in Asia uh, Impact Media. It is important to make this point. Um, so, so I think that part has definitely become more clear for people. Um, but the negative part to that, to COVID, is that we've, we've got all these gains at the expense of consumerist capitalism, which is based on sales figures and growth and, and revenue growth and, and shareholder returns. And we can pretty much all agree that this year is a write-off for you know, 80% of industries. And those industries probably want to go back to before. Definitely. Yeah, I mean- And so, yeah. No, sorry, carry on. I, I, I don't want to interrupt you. Well, well, basically, so how do we, you know, how do we, how do we learn from the lessons we need to learn while also facing this, what feels like, right now in the short term, huge economic losses um, that need to be, you know, met with us kind of spending and, and buying and, and, and helping companies get their revenues back up, which again, starts the whole cycle of, you know, climate unfriendly uh, lifestyles. So, so it's, it's, this is the problem. It's, it's kind of, the, the, the present system is is so broken that unfortunately um, it's broken and then COVID broke it more and now people are trying to fix a broken system. 
it's kind of like that isn't it and so so exactly. I, I see it in england they just made these rules where now you can um you know you can buy food cheap basically you can go to some of the fast food places here and get like 50 percent off but in the same week they do an announcement where they want people to be less obese and they should exercise so there's all these memes flying around it's like okay you know exercise and 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 be healthy but by the way you can get a free i won't even mention the rubbish brand but you can get one of these junk food items near nothing and so it's kind of you know the whole system seems to be you know fighting itself or eating itself maybe is a better way of putting it yeah absolutely there was the other thing in the uk where i think people were given money to eat at, at restaurants and you know I, I i read a lot of uh uk news for various reasons and um you know there was a huge blowback because at the end of the day, yeah, we, we do need to support the restaurants, but why are we not supporting better quality food and chefs getting a living wage and restaurant staff being well looked after the rest of the year? Yeah. You know, well, now I, I, it's all like, oh, well, we have to save them. Yeah, we do have to save them, but we kind of also have to keep them in business, in good business the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I just interviewed... Um quite a well-known uh, yoga studio owner and he was saying that you know there's absolutely no incentives to help people go and exercise more but there's a huge amount of incentives for them to go eat really bad food <laughs> so you know this is the, the the mission is slightly misguided however if you go to the grassroots of it and what you've talked about there as well you know the people need a job people need income they need to survive they need to pay their mortgages ironically they need to continue to feed the capitalistic system right there's, so there's this there's, so it's all kind of it's, it's a fascinating time and i think what's also interesting about what you're talking about here is, is a lot of people when you say the food system is broken they will not connect that point to covid necessarily they'll see covid as a pandemic a disease that needs to be eradicated and they'll kind of forget well actually it came from a broken food system despite the conspiracy theories, it came from a broken food system, right? So, so ultimately, you know, mixing animals in certain situations created the virus that then got into humans that then trend. That is probably the truth, pushing all the conspiracy theories aside. Well, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the virus, as far as we know, it came from some, it's a bat virus that then ended up on whichever animal we're not sure, right? right? There are theories, but let's, let's make the connection for people. So we've got bats that should be, living far away from us because that's what they deserve in their, in their habitat. But we uh, build bigger and bigger cities and take up more and more resources. So wildlife has nowhere to go. So we end up living near bats. Um, For example, bats are carriers of diseases. There's nothing wrong with that. Bats are, are incredibly fascinating creatures, but they are able to survive with something like, 30 diseases at a time it doesn't affect them but then they get they interact with livestock animals and then that infects the livestock which then infects us because we eat the livestock and why is that because there's too many livestock animals and they have to live in conditions where diseases can easily be transmitted and we then want cheap food because we've been convinced that we are owed cheap food and that cheap food is a basic right of a, of a modern democratic nation, um, which is not actually true. And so we now are in this, in this world where we spend more percentage of our income on clothes than we do on the food we eat. Um, we've also been brainwashed by a healthcare system that has forgotten to train doctors about nutrition and the value of food in a healthy, in, in health and well-being, 
And so we've, we've completely misunderstood that what we eat is actually important. Not to say that modern medicine is incredibly important and that it cannot support great health, but the idea that we have forgotten that what we eat is actually the basis of health. And now studies are coming out to show that actually in order to, for example, lose weight successfully, and, and I mean, you know, there's a lot of theories on losing weight, but but the one message that's coming out is actually it's 80, 70 to 80% diet and it's 10 to 20, uh, 20 to 30% exercise. And we thought the opposite, you know, for 20 years we were told you're not exercising enough. So everything we're told is, is disconnecting us from something that is incredibly vital to our health and well-being, and that's what we eat. And we we eat two, three, four times a day, and we all eat. I mean, it's the one equalizer. We, I mean, maybe also sleep, um, but but it's not like buying other stuff. And yet, every year we spend less and less of our income on food. So so there is this connection between the pandemic and what we eat. And I'm glad you you pushed us to make it really clear, but. You know, we've, I, I do feel really, really bad for my readers and for, you know, consumers at large, because I think people have no idea what to think. They have no idea what to believe. Should they trust their doctor? Should they trust their fitness instructor? Should they trust the Instagram influencer that looks amazing? Should they, you know, trust the media? It's, it's really gotten difficult to, you know, the, the tools for a healthy life the toolbox for a healthy life, both physically and mentally, um, is no longer being taught to us. I, th- I think the point you're making about who you can trust there is really interesting. I mean, I, for me, it also it links back to the, the entrepreneurial point that a lot of successful entrepreneurs, they listen to their gut. It's often what makes them successful. I think a lot of people have stopped listening to their gut and started tuning into a podcast to tell them what to do. You know, like, give us the answers, tell us what to do. But actually what people have to do is go back and listen to their gut. You know, does it feel right to be eating this food? Does it, does it, I mean, I know myself, you know, and I, I, I'm not um, a vegan. I, I do eat meat and I think that's part of the reason it's good to have this discussion because I, I, I can understand people that like to eat meat. But I tell you, when I eat one of those crappy fast food things and I do it every so often, I know at the end of it, it's not good. I can feel it literally in my gut, you know, but I might ignore it because of the stimulation that that, whatever that is in that food gave me. Um, and, and, uh, and, and and so yeah so so um so anyway I I think it's fascinating I think the problem is and and we could go on about this all day long maybe we should do a whole show just about this subject because it's fascinating sure. and, li- and linking things back to who you can trust and why and you know how it all works I mean I I get a lot of media um, broadcast in London I'm based in London at the moment from America England is heavily influenced by America and if you actually watch you know if you watch Fox or you watch CNN you're going to have a completely different view on the world but what I do find fascinating about right now is that you know you have the Republicans in america saying well you know climate change isn't real and anyway even if it is uh, it will sort itself out anyway like everything does then this sort you know the planet will readjust itself and of course you've got on the other side democrats saying no we need to take action now generally this is the theme of the two parties right i think what's really fascinating is i think the republicans have just got what they asked for you know the planet has gone and adjusted itself with covid it's just not taking the form they would have liked, which maybe would have been some invention that would take the pollution out of the air or, or you know, some, some it's, it's taken a completely different form, which has actually destroyed their economic model as Republicans. But it's fascinating to see how, you know, sometimes you get what you wish for 
So something has come along to readjust the planet that no one wants it in this form. And maybe the point is, my view is, and I love your opinion, is, is if we taken control ourselves, then we wouldn't have had to have COVID, right? There, there is that, you know, we, we could have taken control of the process ourselves, but instead the planet's invented something to show us. I mean, that's a really interesting point that they got what they asked for. I think, I think one of the things I find the most challenging as a human being and, you know, I really hope this does not come out in any way, um, you know, condescending to anyone. But I do find it so depressing that we have now ended up in this kind of post-fact world where there isn't even a basis of information that we can agree on to have a debate. You know, I mean, when I was in high school, I did model and in university as well. I continued. I did model United Nations. Right. Which is a debating uh, extracurricular activity. And there's I love debate. I am a student of rhetoric. I got a liberal arts education, arguing, persuading, you know, uh, I mean, in another life, I would have been a lawyer. I, I love discussion and debate. But what has happened today is there cannot be a discussion debate because there's nothing, there's no common ground that we can start from. And, and this is where the two party system and this kind of like everyone in their own echo chambers has gotten us. And so we've ended up in this world where I am probably, uh, reaching people through through social media algorithms that already think like me or are ready to think like me and i will never be reaching people that you know have a completely different view and i don't think that's healthy i think it's incredibly enriching and incredibly um important for all of us to be surrounded by people that are different and hold different beliefs and views but I, I do find it very, very disheartening that we can't say things like the sky is blue because someone doesn't believe it. You know, and that's a silly example, but whatever, you know, two plus two is four, whatever it is, we can no longer, you know, agree on just a basic piece of information, which in the past would have been called, you know, data. I don't even want to use the word truth because, you know, now it's all about, well, everyone's got their own truth. And, and yes, on an emotional level and on a mental level, we, we do all have our own truth. But if we can't agree that math is real and if we can't agree that science is real, well, you know, I, I'm not sure how we can engage in, in deeper discussions that can really bring about change. I, I, I concur. I, I know what you mean. It's, it's interesting. You see these things flying around like what color is this dress? Right, and you have saw that, and half the world's like it's blue, and half the other half it's green, and so you know what is the truth anyway? And so, I think, um, yeah, I think it's very, I think it's a, it's a fair point, and I and I and I what I take from what you're saying, although perhaps the listeners sounds that you sound like you're being a bit down on the world. Actually, I think you're being very positive about it because what you're doing is you're taking this belief that everyone should understand what's going on. You're trying to reach out to the other side of the aisle, as they would say in America. And, and I think you're building businesses. This is what entrepreneurs do. They build businesses to try and fix a problem they feel passionate about. And that's what I see 
in in your history and what you're doing now. So that's all you can do, isn't it? You know, if, if politicians don't listen, and, and most of COVID today is a political decision, most of the decisions made are political decisions. And if you want to believe government or not, that's up to you. I, I've, I've, I've lived in lots of different parts of the world, and I could tell you capitalism or um, democracies or, or communism, they all have their flaws. You know, the two-party system you've mentioned there, really I always call it the illusion of choice because neither of them represent who I really am. No, so 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 what's the point of it all anyway? I mean, all you can do, I think, is grassroots stuff, and that's exactly what I see you doing. And I think in the end, as entrepreneurs, anyone listening out there, that's why right now is the right time to start a business. Because I do see a shift, you know, if things like Black Lives Matter and, and, and what you're talking about here around the, you know, the food system is broken and how we can fix it. People are looking for solutions and ways of fixing it. They might not be the loudest voice. They might not have the most amount of Twitter followers. But I do think it's the same voice. And, and I think it's about being on the right side of history. And I think you are on the right side of history. I think that's basically what we're talking about here, isn't it? Well, absolutely. You know, I it's so funny because I just listened to the Michelle Obama podcast, her first episode, with which, which is her talking to her husband, Barack Obama. And one of the things they both really connected on, because they're talking about values and, and what made them the people that they are, one of the things that they both connected on is the fact that they both wanted to have lives that involved lifting up others in their community because just lifting up themselves felt empty and lonely. And one thing that gives me great joy more than a huge paycheck, um, you know, of course I want to be able to make enough money to pay my staff. And I, I do want to underline that I believe in paying people the right wage and giving them benefits and keeping them employed and not just having them survive on things like commission. Um, but more than that, what gives me real impetus to continue and motivation is knowing that I'm working to fight inequity and, and, and injustice. And one of the things that has been most heartening in the last six months with the COVID pandemic has been seeing how climate justice and inequity and lack of human rights has come to be part of the conversation about sustainability. Because for a long time, sustainability was in this kind of upper middle class, Instagram hued elite halo, where everything looks great. And if you just buy that reusable straw and, you know, organic veggies and drink your green juice, you know, it's, you're going to create a better world. But the reality is, is that that's not, that's not true. Um, a lot of climate, the climate crisis and our global health crisis affects certain people more than others. And it tends to be poorer people, minorities, immigrants, people who are less educated, people who have less opportunities. And so, you know, I just, I don't see, I don't get a lot of um, satisfaction from um, just winning myself. It doesn't make me happy. You know, I'm, I'm really, I'm someone, I, you know, I really hate compliments. I'm, I'm really not interested in gold stars. I'm really just interested in, in, in how do I keep going? How do I set the bar higher and, and really push more? Um, of course, I'm a human being. I want to be recognized for the work I'm doing. Um, I would be completely wrong to say I, I don't, but 
I want to be recognized because of respect, you know, not because I'm just trying to go for the popular vote. And I want to be recognized because there are true results that are really making changes in, in, in people's lives. Where does this passion and energy come from? I mean, a lot of my listeners out there probably listening to this like wow how can I get involved how can I help you know maybe you're inspiring a few people right now but but how how did you get this way what happened to you well I want to go back to in order to answer that I want to go back to something you said earlier which really um marked me because you said that you think you think that I'm actually an optimist and that people might think I'm I'm sounding down but I'm an optimist and it's so incredible that you said that because I always joke about that with my husband because basically I believe that people can change um and that can sound very negative because you're kind of like telling people hey you can do better you can grow you can evolve and my husband is more of the you know what People are who they are. They're not going to change, right? Which on the surface seems like he's more the like, I believe in people and they're the way they are. But I actually always joke with him that I think I'm the real optimist because I actually believe that people can do better than they're doing. And to just accept that people are where they are. And I, and I, this is a difficult thing to word out because of course you should accept, accept people for who they are. But I believe people can always grow and evolve and push themselves further. And I do believe that is the true optimism. Um, but in all other matters, I'm a deep cynic. And I think if I wasn't doing what I do um, every day, then I would, I think I would be very, very, very depressed. I think it's really fascinating the way you put things. And I, and I find that, I, I, for example, I, I believe that everyone could be an entrepreneur. And so it's, it's maybe a, a smaller version of what you're talking about. And then people are like, no, no, that person's not an entrepreneur. You know, they're lazy. I'd be like, actually, some of the most successful entrepreneurs are lazy. You know, like, <laughs> there's this, this, so, so they're actually lazy. But that's good. If you're a programmer and you're lazy, then you'll find ways to do things quicker and hack things. And, and actually, it makes you a better programmer, you know. And, and so, so, so in other words, you know, this preconception of what people are like and therefore they can't do X is totally wrong. And so it's, um, you know, it, it is fascinating, but, it, but I, I, I do get this. I mean, it's fascinating. I haven't listened to the Michelle Obama podcast yet. It's, it's on my to-do list because I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, but there is a whole, I've seen actually a lot of uh, memes come out, um, again, probably from the right in America, where it's kind of like, yeah, you, you say lift uh, up others, but, you know, at the end of the day, what did you really do for the, the black community, really? You know, at the end of the day, we've still got this problem. Um, we've still got institutional racism and you didn't fix the problem that you you should have done because you know you're, you're black so you should have fixed it and so it's quite interesting isn't it where then suddenly his message and, and, and michelle obama's message gets gets suppressed as instead of the message coming through which you're highlighting there which i think is really powerful which is there's a lot of joy in lifting up others and actually pushing down others for your own gain in the end means you on your deathbed probably have a lot of regrets but i guess you don't know to you on your deathbed that you have those regrets so in the meantime maybe you buy yourself a couple of houses and you've got yourself a nice car and somehow you've done that by not lifting up others but by lifting yourself up but that's the end game we're talking about isn't it and i think that's what i hear with your point around the future of the planet it's very optimistic we can change we can we can fix it but I'm nervous if we don't, this is the end game, you know, like the planet will be destroyed and, you know, human race will be wiped out. And, you know, is that what you want? So that is kind of that very 
pessimistic thing at the end, but being real about it, which is really tricky, right? That's really tricky to get that balance. Well, it is very tricky, especially since I read a lot of kind of behavioral psychology about what people want to hear. And, and, you know, have you noticed that a lot of the new sustainability media is just unerrantly positive all the time? I, I have noticed that. Yeah. And, and why is that? And there is this kind of understanding that you have to be positive to talk about the planet. Otherwise, people are just not going to be interested. That's the only way to get through to people. And one, once again, for me, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but for me, that, that rings false. That rings, again, of I'm talking down to people. Like, I need to talk to them like they're, you know, a preschooler so that they'll they'll take on the planet. They're, they're not capable as adults that, you know, have thoughts uh, to understand that the climate crisis is acute. I know I, I don't want to talk down to people. I want to talk to people with research and, and, and as many facts as I can gather and, and, and viewpoints and, and resources and information, and then people can make up their mind. But I'm certainly not going to tell everyone, hey, you know, use this reusable straw and, and all your, you know, you've solved the, the climate crisis. I just, that doesn't speak to me. And, and, and I think you could argue that I am a bit crazy to, to believe in the power of, of words. And, you know, people are always asking me, should you not just do video? Do people even read anymore? Um, well, they do read. I can see the data on my site. And I'm, I'm not ready to kind of throw the towel in on, you know, well-researched, longer form content. It's fascinating stuff. I think people have to um, understand that what happens today will affect their children i mean for for me i think that's the thing that's definitely changed me no, you know my three-year-old son it's funny you say preschooler because I, I actually think he preschooling kids teach us adults things so for example my son was toilet well he's just do, toilet trained himself recently and you know he came to the end of the toilet roll and he's got that cardboard at the end it's like daddy what's this you know what is the point of this it's what he said to me you know like and i'm like actually i don't know what is the point of that you know, like, why is that there? You know, like the toilet roll would sit on that toilet thing without that bit of cardboard in the middle. And actually, it feels like a complete waste of paper. Of course, then we make it into a little toy and we turn it into something. Okay, you can argue we're reusing it, but it's still being made for no reason. He doesn't need that thing turned into a toy. He doesn't need it. We don't need it. You know, it's little things like that, isn't it? And I actually think he's a three-year-old, you know, he's a preschooler. He, he, he's telling us, these people, know, the young people know, right? And I think that's that's one one glimmer of hope. I, I do see. I don't know what your view is based on you know your, your huge audience. I know you have a lot of people. I I have a twenty twenty two month old, and he provides endless source of joy, but also hope. Mm, exactly. Um, yeah. One of the things that I think you know maybe they don't tell you is for for a for a you know a dedicated um, cynic like me, the the hope is is really. It, it, it's you know life life giving totally and i think anyone that's got kids will begin understand this point that you know selfishly i mean you can live your life and maybe by the time you're dead the next generation the planet's gone then so what right if you want to be selfish like that but you've got to think of the next generation and, and we are destroying the planet uh, for that next generation so I, I wanted to ask you i mean I, I feel the energy and passion of what you're doing i think a lot of my audience would like to understand how you got here i mean so you you know when i look at your career um you, you know you worked in some pretty interesting positions and and you know last one was uh, international wealth manager at hsbc i feel like it couldn't be more different to your next step with which was then starting Green Queen Media. Um, so maybe just um, talk us through, you know, I, how that happened. 
I can't lie to you, Simon. That was not a very happy year, and I did not enjoy that job. Um, if you ever talk to anyone who worked with me there, they would they would tell you Sonali was deeply unhappy. Uh, no, churning people's portfolios to make the bank fees is not what I consider uh, happiness uh, career making. Um, I was raised. I, I'm I'm an '80s baby. I was raised in the era of you know, the, the golden years of, uh, you know, finance and capitalism and mega growth and, you know, go and make a fortune. You deserve it. That's, that's the apex of life. I went to university, uh, at the university of Pennsylvania, which has the Wharton business school, basically a, a factory for creating investment bankers. I was there in the early two thousands. Um, I was on campus when, you know, Facebook first came out and only us Ivy League schools could use it. Um, My whole life, you know, I was taught, you know, be a really good student, get into the best university you can and then get the best job you can. And, you know, that's how I ended up in that kind of world. Um, But I would say it was a miss. I would say if I had to do over my life, I would probably go to law school. Let's say I had, you know, stayed away from, from the finance side. I I think that wasn't for me. Um, That's not to say that I wasn't perfectly good at it, but what, what I, what I noticed in all my jobs is six months would, would go by. I would outperform. I would do super well. I would, you know, master what I was, what I was being trained to do. And then there would be this kind of fall in my head and I just couldn't be happy. Um, And I couldn't find satisfaction in in going on. And the idea of just like more money or a promotion just wasn't working for me. And so that's why I would then, you know, go find something else. Then I, I was in London, then I moved back here, you know, did stuff here, but it wasn't, obviously I wasn't fulfilled. Now, you know, one argument you could make is, well, you know, why should you be fulfilled? You know, most people on earth, fulfillment is not part of the the deal, but there you have it. I just couldn't, I, it wasn't working. And, and then if I think back to high school and, and what I did on the side, it's not a huge surprise that I've ended up where I am because I, you know, I hadn't connected the dots, you know, when I was younger, but for example, when I was 16, I started a magazine called Peace of Mind about the Tibetan human rights crisis in in Singapore in my high school. Now, looking back that, you know, I was obviously very passionate about telling stories and and getting people to think about those that are less fortunate and the, 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 you know, the crises happening in the world. Um, so there were some seeds there, but I just got put onto a path because of expectations and not to say that my parents were like, you have to become a banker, not at all, but it just seemed like that's what I was meant to do. I mean, maybe it was growing up in Hong Kong and Singapore, you know, two hugely finance centered cities. Um, maybe it was, you know, the timing I'm, I'm really right between the, uh, the boomers and the, the, the generation X and then the millennials, you know, I'm really at the cusps. 
Some people call us Xennials, we're in between. But really this, this kind of idea that, you know, acquiring as much as possible was the answer. And, and for me, I'm not saying I didn't try it on. You know, I, I, got, I had a really awesome job out of university, made, you know, really good money for a 20-something-year-old, 20, 20 um, you know, was in London, was like flying to New York every four months because I could afford it, um, you know, see my friends because I had graduated from there. Um, that sounds crazy to me now, you know, that I was doing that. But, but I was in that frame of mind for a while, but it was never something that I could really lean into. After a while, I would always just be unhappy and just be like, this isn't working. I, this is not what I want to do. This is not what I want to read about. This is not what I want to, you know, invest in. But, you know, there is pressure from, from your generation and your society and your family, your friends, and everyone I know has ended up very corporate. I think you're talking um, I, to a lot of my listeners, by the way. I think, I think a lot of people have got caught in that system. And they, they get caught, it gets deeper with mortgages and, and responsibilities. Of course, kids, and kids responsibilities, and just, health issues, yeah, student loans. Yeah, they get trapped. Um, and I think a lot of my listeners are like that. And so, so tell them how you got out of it. Well, HSBC was really the last straw. It was really bad at the end. I, I was really unhappy. I felt like I was being asked to hoodwink old ladies and sell them insurance plans they didn't need. Um, and that I, I couldn't, I didn't want to do something that I couldn't look myself in the mirror about. Um, and I had started Green Queen just as a side blog. I actually left um, e e HSBC to start Eco Warehouse. So I have always been really into food. And about in 2007, when I had this sort of green awakening, and that's when the Green Queen blog came because I, I had started it because I had amassed all this information about how to live a greener and healthier life in Hong Kong. And I just thought, well, I have this kind of green address book that is useful. So why don't I put it online in case someone might need it? But I mean, I had no idea, you know, what to do. I, I think the only thing I paid for was a, you know, a server and, you know, I, I downloaded a free WordPress theme and, and this really nice lady from North Carolina made me a logo, my original, the original green queen logo. Um, and that was it. And I just, I didn't have any expectation of, I didn't even have a Facebook page at the beginning, nothing. It just was aware, a place for me to store information and resources that I thought people might find useful. And I didn't think about it again. And then I, I started HSBC, kept going, um, you know, really didn't like it. But while I was at HSBC, I had this idea for, you know, one of the things that I probably haven't talked about enough is that that is a little bit unique about me is that I think I'm a pretty decent trend forecaster. I, I see things happening a lot earlier than maybe others might. And so for me, um, as soon as I had clocked on to the issues that were within our food system and understood more about sustainable agriculture and conventional um, food and, and all everything, I, I realized, okay, this is, this is just something that is waiting to explode. There are way too many issues. There are way too many environmental effects, health effects, 
um, this is all going to come out and it's going to be really ugly. And, and, and people are going to realize that, you know, they've been lied to um, by big food and, and, and by big manufacturing. And, and, and then they're going to start asking questions about where their food's coming from. And that's going to lead to where their you know, clothes are coming from, where their other products are coming from. And it's just going to snowball. And so I, I, I felt like the world was going to change. Uh, not saying that I knew when I, I was thinking within 10 years, which, which has turned out to be, you know, pretty accurate. But so I, I was pretty sure that we were going to have a massive kind of revolution in food and, and we were going to need to, um, change everything about how we eat. And so I was looking at, um, I was thinking about Starbucks because when I was in university, that was my student job. I worked at Starbucks for four years and I had all the different positions from barista to, um, uh, you know, purchasing manager to marketing manager. And then finally I was the cafe manager, um, at the last, on the last year. And, and by the way, I'm a huge believer in working in service jobs. I think that everyone, I don't care if you're a billionaire, you should be working in a service job at some point in your life. You should serve people you will learn more about the variety and the breadth of the human experience doing that than, than any of anything else you do. And I think we've, we've really become a world of, you know, middle and upper middle and upper class people that never do that kind of frontline work that I think the pandemic has exposed as incredibly vital to the survival of our society. Um, so I, I did that for four years. It was amazing training. I mean, Starbucks is a, is an, is a phenomenally interesting company to work for just, they're such a well-oiled machine. It was, it was really interesting. And basically I guess that had stayed with me and I was thinking, why isn't there a Starbucks, but what I called like a green Starbucks, which is ironic because obviously Starbucks is green. But what I mean is sort of, you know, an eco Starbucks where you could go in and you could get almond milk and you could get vegetarian food and you'd get coconut yogurt and you could, you know, all the packaging would be recycled. I mean, this is 2011 that I'm writing this business plan. So today it would be completely not needed because everything is going in that direction. But in 2011, it felt like that was revolutionary. So when I went on that journey to write that business plan, I started looking into sourcing. And I was very, very, very committed to organic because I truly believe in the regenerative powers of organic agriculture for our sustainable food systems. Um, and so then I realized there was nowhere to look for organic ingredients. It was impossible. Um, and I ended up on Alibaba, which is really honestly the first time I'd heard about them. This is pre-IPO, pre-them being the most successful company ever from China. And, you know, I thought, okay, what, what is this? What is this Alibaba? And I did some searches for organic and, you know, I still have the screenshots and there was nothing. Organic almonds got me a result of an almond extract machinery supplier. And that was it. There was nothing. And that's when the business plan for the organic Alibaba came about. And while we were building that business, um, which took a while because at the time there were no out of the box B2B uh, software options. So we had to build it from scratch, something I would never do today. You should not do that. You should always use what's available and do an MVP. But 
um, while I was building that, I ended up um, reviewing Green Queen. And that's when I realized there was an audience that had developed. It wasn't much, but it was four or 5,000 people a month. And we were the first result on Google for organic vegetables in Hong Kong. And I didn't even know what SEO was, but I knew that it was amazing and important. And I started, I decided I'm going to, I'm going to make this into a media, not just a blog. And I'm going to commit to a weekly newsletter and three articles a week and a Facebook page. And I'm going to start doing events. And I, I did the first healthy and vegetarian, uh, farmer's market in Hong Kong in 2013. And it was a huge success and it really grew our mailing list. And then that's where Green Queen just, and then after that, it was just Green Queen took off, you know, by early 2014, people were asking for our media kit. As I said, I didn't know what a media kit was, had to learn, had to make one, have learned along the way. We have a nice one now, but it took a while and, and that, and that's it. And then I went on this journey and, and, and I will, one of the things that may interest listeners is that for a long time, I did not consider Green Queen a business. I considered it something on the side that I didn't take seriously um, because I thought, well, media is not serious, right? Being a blogger about, you know, healthy lifestyle, that's not serious. What's really serious is Eco Warehouse. You know, that's a tech business with like innovation in it, you know? And I had this kind of negative feedback loop in my head that Green Queen just wasn't enough. It wasn't, you know, somebody who was in finance and was now doing tech shouldn't be doing, you know, some blog. And, and people would often refer to it as a blog, which today really pisses me off because it's not a blog. It's a fully fledged news media site um, with millions of readers. But at the time I absorbed that and I, I believed it. And, and there's also this kind of rampant sexism that exists that's, that's very latent, but it's there of a woman doing lifestyle media, right? Like that's just, you're silly and like, you know, go and sit by yourself with your pink and you're, you know, it's not serious. You know, it's not like I started a FinTech news platform, right? That's immediately serious. Um, and don't forget that in 2013, green news was basically the fringe of media. I mean, nobody gave a crap and nobody thought that was important. And talking about the planet was, you know, an activist's, uh, you know, passion and that's it. And so it took me three years to really understand that actually, wait a minute, Green Queen makes good money. Um, it's an actual business. And I don't just have one business, I have two. And I need to change my mindset to think about Green Queen as a business. And when I did that, I think Green Queen took off even more because I allowed myself to lean into Green Queen. And of course, now that you know the food revolution is happening, Green Queen looks very prescient, right? Totally. Right, it, it, it suddenly, I'm, I'm the person that's been talking about this stuff for, you know, almost 10 years. And, you know, we, we first wrote about Beyond Meat in 2016. This is before David Young brought Beyond to Asia. I had already heard about it because, because of Eco Warehouse, I get to go to all the major food shows um, and 
I see all the innovation and I knew these products were, you know, we did this roundup of, you know, companies that are going to change the world. And it was beyond meat and impossible foods. Now we were the absolute first people maybe in, in the entire Asia, but certainly in Hong Kong to write about these companies at that time and to understand that they were going to change the conversation. They were going to change what restaurants serve. They were going to change what we eat. And, you know, I think it's okay to take a little bit of kudos for that, you know, but it took me a while. I I think for the audience to reference, I mean, we mentioned at the beginning, we hadn't actually met each other, but I I, I first heard your name in 2013 and we were talking about, we had a media publication I'd invested in. We're like, okay, we want to highlight um, what's happening with the food system and what is green and and you were the person to go to you are still the person to talk to about this stuff i think what's fascinating about your your journey is that like you're talking about that you were there talking about it when it wasn't cool to necessarily be talking about it like you say it wasn't taking seriously now i think it is even now it's still now starting to become more and more important but even now sometimes gets ignored um as as almost like we were talking earlier about covid being something separate from the things that you're talking about when it isn't and and so you know it it really is amazing to be first and i think what i there's so many things you've just said i want to make sure my listeners pick up on so i think you i think everyone listening you need to go back five minutes and just listen to that everything that's just been said there again because there's a few really important things there i'm running out of time to explain them but one of them i will just highlight is that i definitely think a lot of people right now have a business that someone will tell you is not a real business that someone will tell you is not going to be a real thing and maybe you know in in scenarios example it was a blog but maybe for today it's you know you're doing something you enjoy and someone's telling you it can't be a business the world history will tell you artists were told that Picasso was told that people were told that you're never going to make a living out of this thing that you enjoy doing right and 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 they're wrong and so I think, you know, just want people to pick up on that one point. There's loads of things that Sinali's just said that I want you to go back and listen to about like the process. And, and I'm not a woman, so I can't put myself in that category, but I, I'm, I'm married to one. And I know what it's like for her when she's building a business. And sometimes people don't take it seriously. It's like, oh, are you doing that on the side? Is that just something fun for you? You know, when she's, she's building an education box right now, my wife's building a whole new education system to oh. try and help kids. It's fascinating. And part of it, you should team up with her, by the way, because part of it is also educating kids yeah. about, about, you know, where food comes from. You know, like most kids don't even know, you know, where it's, how it's grown given an apple they've never seen it on a tree you know so she's she's involved in, in building a box of stuff like that in it but but the point i'm trying to make is that you know, i see i see it playing out where people she'll tell people she's doing this thing and they'll be like oh it's just for fun is it you know and then she has to throw big numbers behind their whole explanation to make people realize it's not a game you know it's not something fun she's doing while being a mother you know it's well it's, it's, it's um i'm gonna say something very personal i didn't want to tell anyone that i was pregnant Wow. I didn't, just doesn't seem I didn't right, tell it? anyone till I was seven months. I, I showed very late and I didn't want to tell anyone. And I don't know why, but I have a feeling I just did not want to not be taken seriously because I can, I do you can, know what? The- I can understand why, by the way, I, I think, I think, you know, even though I'm a man, I can, I can understand what you mean. Um, but, but how did you break through on that? What was, did, I mean, I seven- didn't break through. I got so big that <laughs> it was, Well, there's another thing. I'm very, very, very private about my personal life on social media. So I also just am not a a constant photo sharer. So I've never shared a photo of my son and I won't, but that's a, that's a different choice. I just know a little bit too much about things that I shouldn't know about. 
But so that's, that's a second part to it. But the first part is I didn't want anyone to not take me seriously when Green Queen had really started getting bigger and we were about to start fundraising for Eco Warehouse for a, a bigger round. And I just felt that people were just going to think, oh, now she's a mom. And, and, and maybe it's because, you know, there are a lot of moms with businesses, which is great, you know, but it, it feels like when you're a mom and you say you have a business, people assume it's a lifestyle business versus when you're, if you weren't a mom, they would maybe not immediately put you in that category that it could just, it could actually be a massive business, not just kind of a hobby business. And again, there's nothing wrong with a hobby business, but I am extremely devoted to my work. Even with a child, I, I'm such a workaholic. And I, I think that's just inside of me. Um, and it's never going to change. But I was worried that if I said that I was pregnant, people were going to think that I wasn't serious. And let me tell you the number of people that said to me, but what's going to happen to Green Queen? Yeah, crazy, isn't it? They'd never say that to a man, would they? And I, I, if, if, if it helps, by the way, on the other side, I just had the first three years of my son's life, I wanted, I stopped working full time and I just wanted to be involved in the parenting. And I can't tell you how many times other guys would say to me, when are you going to get back to doing a real job? And I'd have to tell them the hardest thing I've ever done is be a full time parent. That word is it the is so hard to deal with toddlers in the world and so you know when am i going to go back to having an easy life is that what you're asking me you know because they're almost like oh you know why, why are you wasting your time you know being a parent you've got a brain right i'm like <laughs> you know it's like do you know how many mothers are super smart you know like that it's just that it's, it's crazy the perception i'm not i'm not trying to get you to suddenly play a small harp for me um you know as a, no, as a no, man no. but it, but it really plays both ways it actually plays both ways absolutely you know? and i see that all the time i with with you know well my husband works but but he's a very devoted father and and there is this kind of attitude of well do, but do you enjoy it yeah I or, mean, or let the mother do it you know like the mother the mother can change the nappies right i mean it's there's a politician exactly. here, for example, who's got five children and he boasted in Parliament that he's never changed a nappy. I'm like, I, I want to use a profanity and I'm not sure if we'll get blocked on Spotify, but yeah. what, a, what a wanker. Like, honestly, come Absolutely. on. And, and that's something to be embarrassed about, but somehow he thinks it's no, it makes, it makes him more of a man somehow. That's not what he does. He, he runs the country. So, you know, these, these, these women, they change the nappies. It's absolutely ridiculous. And this is a modern time... You know, politician. I'm not talking about someone in the 80s that you can forgive for, like you, like you said earlier, being caught up in some weird stereotype of what the world's like. I mean, we still have that problem today, so I completely relate to it. I could have you on all day long, and I absolutely want you to come back, and we can talk about issues like this. We can create a particular you know, a framework of just talking about this stuff, because I think we could go into a whole conversation about gender equality um, and, and get into a whole conversation, because, I, again, I, I see it now uh, as a father that, you know, for example, the whole paternity um, maternity pay system is all flawed so you know no wonder people hire men versus women when you know, there's a whole system of like well women are going to have more time off when they have a baby right but if you made it equal that would start to solve problems like that so i think you could have a whole conversation around what you've just unpacked there and i'd love to do it but i also am conscious that um, my listeners will, will, won't listen to us forever even if we're really interesting so we we have to maybe <laughs> um, um, bring this interview to an end and, and to do that i'd like to ask you i've got loads of questions i still i, I wanted to ask you i haven't had a chance today so i have to have you come back on I wanted to ask you about luck because, of course, that's the theme of the podcast. I want to ask you about your education, which you briefly mentioned, but I wanted to go into it a little bit more on perhaps how you perceive education going forward. I want to talk about things uh, like are entrepreneurs born on bread? 
again, I'm going to have to have you back for all of this because I definitely want to hear your opinion. But I guess on the lighthearted end, I would like to ask you, if you went back to your younger self and gave some advice, what would it be? It would definitely have to be that I'm extre- like you're extremely fortunate to be born where you were born with the parents you were born and, and, and the upbringing that you received and, and just like dream big. And and I do want to say one last thing about luck. Luck is a huge part of my journey. I, in fact, I do think that one of the reasons I have so much passion, you asked me this earlier and I don't think I fully answered. One of the reasons I have so much passion for what I do is because honestly, I feel slightly I feel slightly guilty for how lucky I am in terms of where I was born. When I, when I understand that, you know, 98% of the world is born with no voice, no choice, hardship, difficulty, I feel guilty. And I feel that anyone that is born with loving parents and a chance at a good education and a chance to pursue their dreams has a responsibility to lift up their community. I really believe that as, as, as Pollyanna as that may sound. It's just giving me shivers. I just literally got shivers. I, uh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And um, it, it kind of um, links to, to the point I'm trying to make on luck sometimes because, you, you know, you meet people that are successful and they're like, it wasn't luck, it was all hard work. You know, like, where were you born? You know, like, that was, you controlled that, did you? You know, like, what, what bits were your control and what bits weren't is kind of my point. And so when people say, oh, I was successful because I worked hard and that's all you need to do, no, that will not. People working hard right now on a building site, building a rich person's home, the harder they work, the more injuries they're going to get. You know, like it does not equate to these top line stuff that people talk about when it comes to being lucky. So thank you for saying that. Thank you for, uh, for you know, I feel quite uh, emotional about what you just said there. And, and I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and I don't think you should feel guilty because I think what you're doing is um, um, amazing. And you are definitely lifting people up. You lifted me up today and hopefully my audience too. I want to sum up what I've taken away from it. Um, I'm out, there's so much here, so I'm, I'm going to just do some of the things I've taken away. Uh, but I love the opening point about um, live a healthier life on a healthier planet. I think linking those two together is actually really powerful. and I really like it. I like the measure of success, you know, changing minds, I, I think, can sound negative in the, in the hands of the wrong person. And I think I'm going to say Fox News, uh, changing minds in the hands of the wrong person. But in your hands, changing minds, I'm pretty excited. I think helping the SMEs that you mentioned earlier, you know, the, the small independent traders connect to an audience to sell their product to, that's really exciting. And then bringing back that, you know, individual merchant and that human touch uh, and, and so, so powerful. I love the idea of ending shareholder capitalism. Might make that your T-shirt. Um, like that a lot. I think that's an interesting one. And, and it's not the end of capitalism. I think capitalism's fine, as you said. I think it has its place and we want people to be able to, you know, have a nice life and, and eat and, and afford these things. And so, but the fixing the food system is, is not related to providing cheap food. You know, it doesn't have to be so correlated. Um, uh, anyway, I, I want to um, remind people to say no to certainly uh, businesses that don't match their moral code or their purpose, even if it's painful. And I think that was a really important point at the beginning of the podcast you talked about. So I want people to, to remember that. Um, I, I like this point you also made, uh, and my dog's now shaking as well because I think uh, she got um, 
excited about your statement a minute ago. Um, but working service, I agree. I've worked in service. Actually, everyone I've ever met has actually worked in service. If you dig into when they've at some point worked in service, the insight and the empathy you develop uh, for for your fellow human being when you work in service is, is quite profound, actually. So I can actually tell people that have never worked in service than those that have. And so, uh, unfortunately, you might not lie. I worked in a butcher's shop for a few years, but it was still in service. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, um, I, was, I was 14, 15 years old. You know, but it, but it's, it's that, that point you're making. They're definitely the point you're making. Um, and, and I think this, um, uh, you know, the frontline people definitely need more respect as well. I'll just add, you know, you're totally right what you said earlier about that too. You know, the frontline staff now, it's, it's so obvious. They're more important than any billionaire out there today. You know, like the billionaire will be on stage, the billionaire will be in the press all the time, Trump's in the press all the time. Without those frontline people right now, you ain't getting any food, um, nothing's happening. Your, your rubbish isn't getting picked up. Your, you know, these, these people are the lifeblood of what makes life work. And they deserve more respect than if you worked as a bin collector for a month or you worked on the frontline staff in a supermarket right now. You, you, you have a whole new view on the world, which I think would give you more empathy, which might make you a better business person. So I agree with what you said there. I like the whole point you made earlier as well around your learning around sometimes you should do an MVP. I think that's true. A lot of people do go out there and build it all themselves, as you explained. But the MVP thing is so important for people to remember. A minimum viable product, for those that don't know, know Lean Startup, the book, uh, it's written about this whole process but it's it's important a lot of people to go out and build all the whole technology these days there's so much out there already you don't need to be, build uber from scratch or airbnb from scratch there's systems out there that you can leverage at least test if the market wants it or not and so i can go on and on because i've really enjoyed um the insights you've given us today um you 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 so much here i want i hope everyone listens to this podcast on the planet and hope even the people that don't believe that the food system is broken um, and, and, and so on is, is, is I hope they listen to it too even if they don't believe it and because I think you're, you're, you might just change a few minds today I'm certain if people listen to this so, so thank you so much for taking the time to join us and, and share your insights Thank you Simon it's been an amazing hour and a half I'm, I'm really pleased that I was able to come on and thank you for inviting me and for reaching out thank and you. for giving me a chance to speak my truth in my story well we're going to have you back (laughs) i hope so thank you so much for listening to our podcast show today i hope you feel as inspired and have learned something as i have done from sunilla today if you did do me a favor go follow her portal not blog go listen to what she's got to say open your mind up to making the world a better place what have you got to lose i want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Good Luck Club podcast today. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you take the time to listen to ours. If you did find the podcast useful, please share it. Give us a comment to let us know that you found it useful and let us know how we can improve the experience for you.